Well, good morning, and thanks once again for tuning in to the worship service at Church in the Valley, Alhambra. My name is Adam Groza. I'm serving as the teaching pastor um, here, uh, as an interim teaching pastor. Church is in a time of transition, but I'm so honored to be bringing the message from God's Word, and we're honored that you have joined us and you're tuned in, um, especially if this is your first time. We want to welcome you to our online service, and I uh, hope that you're enjoying the worship and You'll enjoy this time in God's Word, I trust, as well. So let me invite everybody to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And if you are just joining us, maybe for the first time, we've, we've started and we've been going through the book of Philippians, which is a letter which the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in a place called Philippi. And our sermon series is called Celebration and Growth, and what we're looking at is just the ways in which we want to celebrate who Christ is and what he's done, and also grow in our walk with Christ. And so that's really the theme of what we've looked at so far, is just the idea of being partners in the gospel and the promise of the gospel, and last week we looked at the advance of the gospel, and today we're going to look at what I'm calling gospel humility. And I really hope that this message is going to bring you a lot of encouragement. That's really the, the purpose of this passage, as you'll see when we read it in a moment. So, um, yeah, let's read it and follow along as I read, and then I'll pray, and then we'll begin our message this morning. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and as we sung, we, we declare our love for you, our intention to follow you. Um, God, we are grateful for your grace in our lives and just your promises and your word and your spirit, God, these things are so precious to us. And, th and this morning, God, I need grace to preach your word and we all need grace to hear it in faith and receive it and be doers, Father, to be transformed by your word. So, God, we pray that you would accomplish that by your spirit in our time together. For the name and the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. One of the hardest things to deal with in life is conflict. Um, conflict between people really 
I think you'll agree, it just takes the joy out of life. Fighting and bickering, complaining, grumbling, arguing. These are all forms of conflict. And in one sense, conflict is inevitable. Because sometimes we need to address hard things. But also it's inevitable just because we're sinners and we live in a fallen world. And so in one sense, conflict is inevitable. But I think we can agree that so much of the conflict that brings pain is avoidable. Um, So often conflict is avoidable, and yet we fall into these cycles of conflict where there's just conflict over and over, and often just kind of for the same stuff. Conflict brings pain, and maybe this morning you're experiencing the pain of conflict just in your own home or maybe in your own relationships. Uh, I know it's it's quarantine time, and so there's just loads of opportunity for conflict. Um, and I know it at my house, um, there's no shortage of conflict. Um, and as I was writing this this week and preparing and studying and praying, um, I was just thinking about just how true it is that we are so prone we're so prone to conflict, and how pain, uh, just how conflict brings pain, and oftentimes it's. It's not even our own conflict. Um, other people's conflict sort of spills over into our life, and, and that pain spills over, that sadness spills over. So if you know someone whose marriage is falling apart, that conflict you know, brings sadness and pain into your own life. Or your, if you're a parent, you know, conflict with your kids you know, brings sadness and pain into, into your experience. And maybe you're a grandparent, and you know one of your grandchildren is experiencing conflict in some way. That That just brings pain into your own life. So the conflict we experience and the conflict that others we know experience just brings pain. Conflict is painful and it takes the joy out of life. Sometimes it's necessary, but so often it's avoidable. So this morning, what I want us to do is consider how the gospel helps us to move from conflict to unity. And unity brings joy. So I want us to see how the Bible moves us from conflict to unity, from pain to joy. That's, that's my goal this morning, for us to see from the text how we can grow in unity and in joy um, and replace conflict and pain with unity and joy. Now, when I say that conflict leads to pain and unity leads to joy, I, I want you to understand that I'm getting that from this passage. You may have noticed that in verse 2, Paul says, uh, complete my joy, complete my joy. What an interesting phrase. You know, we know we've seen in previous weeks that the people to whom Paul is writing are dear to them, dear to Paul. He he loves them. These are these are very dear brothers and sisters. And actually, in in chapter one, verse eight, he says um, that he has the affection of Christ for them. Um, So he's he has He has godly affection for them. And in chapter 1, verse 4, it says that he prays for them with joy. I mean, these are people that he loves. These are people that bring him joy. These are dear brothers and sisters. And yet, the church in Philippi is not a perfect church. I mean, really, no church. This side of heaven is is perfect. Uh, they're They're all filled with people, and people are sinful and so churches have problems and the church in Philippi had 
problems, and one of their problems was conflict. Uh, conflict in, in Philippi, in this early church. You know, sometimes we can idealize the early church, and we wish that everything could be like in the early church, and we think that they had it all together, and there was no conflict, and it was just this constant, you know, worship fest, but it wasn't. There was conflict, and they struggled with, you know, personality conflicts, and they, they struggled with false teaching, and all the things that plague the modern church plagued the early church. Scandals, and hypocrisy, and sin, it was all there. And in fact, later on in Philippians chapter 4, Paul is going to have to encourage the church at Philippi because there was a specific conflict with a woman named Euodia and a woman named Syntyche. And he he says to the church that they need to help these women agree in the Lord because they were in conflict. They were fighting and their fighting was causing pain. And so back to chapter 2, Paul longs for his joy to be complete um, by hearing of their unity. He wants them to live in gospel unity. And we see clearly from this passage that God desires unity for, for us, just as God desired unity for them. Notice it says, notice it says in verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind. And it's interesting language, being of the same mind, being, um, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. These words of Paul express his desire and under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, God's desire for us to experience deep unity, not, not surface unity, not, not like burying conflict like it doesn't exist, but real substantial unity that flows from our identity and purpose in Christ. As a matter of fact, the word that Paul uses there for being in full accord in verse 2 is is a Greek word which means to be united in soul. And that word really only appears once in uh, the Bible, and it's right here describing Christian unity. Christian unity is not surface unity. It's not just smiling and pretending like everything's okay. It is, it is people united in Christ, deeply grounded in their identity and in their purpose, in the purpose, in the person and work of Christ. So they are united in soul, very deep unity. So here's the point. God, God's desire for his church and for our families and for our marriage is that there would be real unity. And, and that unity brings joy and peace and replaces conflict and pain. I mean, that's really the big idea of what Paul is getting at, getting at in this passage. And, and as I talk about that, as, I, as, as we talk about this passage really trying to move us from conflict and pain to unity and joy and peace, we all want that. I mean, I, I trust that you're hearing that message in your home this morning and it, it resonates with you. You say, who doesn't want that? Yes, I want that. I want less conflict, more unity, less pain, more joy, more peace. That sounds great. But how do we get there? How do we move from conflict to unity? How do we move from pain to peace? Well, we'll notice that the title of the message this morning is Gospel Humility. Gospel Humility. And what I want us to see 
is that unity requires humility. That's really so important to this passage. Paul is totally confident that the church then and the church now um, and in our homes and in our lives, that our lives can be filled with more unity, especially unity among believers, that we can experience unity, but unity requires humility. We, we can't just live lives on our own terms and expect unity and peace. That's not how it works. But if we'll follow Christ, um, which is what Paul's getting at, we can experience unity and peace. This isn't just a dream. This is a reality that God wants and has provided for for us in our relationships. So this is meant to be an encouragement. I hope this is an encouragement to you. Notice it says in verse 1, Paul says, if there is any encouragement, if there is any comfort or if there's any love, um, but the Greek language here, really that word if should be translated or could be translated, I should say, as since. Since there is encouragement, since there is comfort, since there is love. And what Paul is saying is, look, be encouraged. We don't have to live in conflict. There is encouragement. There is comfort. There is love. And what Paul is doing in this passage, he's saying that if you want to experience unity and the joy that comes with unity, you have to fix your mind on the humility of Christ and practice in your life and relationships what we learn from Christ. So notice that humility, which leads to unity, is a mindset. This is so important. Look at verse 2. Paul talks about being of the same mind and having one mind. And in verse 5, he says, have this mind among yourselves. So we're all different individuals, right? We have our own will and our own minds. But, but Paul says, look, if, you, if we want to experience unity, there needs to be a like-mindedness. We need to have one mind among ourselves. So we can't miss the fact that unity involves a certain mindset. And I got to tell you, this is so important and so encouraging to me because so often we think that unity and peace are only going to come through a change of circumstances. Like if only my kids would change or if only my spouse would change or if, or if only my job would change or my boss would change or if things in the world would change, if the church would change, if all these things would change, then I'll have peace and unity. But they never do change. I mean, so often, like the things that bring conflict, they, they, don't, they don't change. In many cases, we just, we just wait for things to change, circumstances to change, and then they don't, and we don't have peace. And we think that's because our circumstances won't change, and we get mad at God, and we get mad at other people, and we're just angry, and we're bitter, and we're just mad. Um, but, but what Paul is saying is so encouraging, but because it means that we can't experience peace and love and comfort and unity, even if those things don't change. How can that be? Well, it's because we have experienced, we have experienced a new mindset, a new perspective and a new outlook. And, and look, this has everything to do with Jesus. Everything to do with Jesus. And that's really clear from this passage. Paul says in verse 5, look at verse 5. 
he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So the perspective and the attitude and the mindset that brings unity is the mindset of Christ, that very same way of thinking. And Paul says it's in us like it was in Christ Jesus. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking, how is that? I mean, how is it possible that I, being a sinner, have the mindset of Christ, who is God in the flesh? And the answer is, it's through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. Paul refers to this in verse 1. Look at verse 1. He refers to participation in the Spirit. So we know that it's through participation in the Spirit that we are able to walk in the mind of Christ and experience less conflict, more unity, less pain, and more joy through relationships where we're experiencing what Christ demonstrated. So if you want to experience peace and joy and the real unity that leads to those things, You need to come to God through faith in Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit, which every believer receives the moment they put their faith in Christ. The moment you trusted in Christ, whether that was at a Christian camp or whether it was on a hike or whether it was in a church service, you came for it, however that happened at a crusade or whatever, however that happened, the moment you put your faith in Christ, God's Spirit entered into you. And Paul says in Ephesians that God's Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. We'll never lose it. It guarantees that we will make it and be united with Christ and enter into eternal life with Him on the day when we go to be with Him. And so this is, this is tremendous news. The Spirit of God is in us, and it's through God's Spirit that we get humility And the humility that produces unity, which produces joy. And so if you're reading this about putting people first and about not looking out for yourself, you think, I can't do that. You can't. In in our own flesh, we can't do that. But it is by the power of God in us that we can experience humility and we can put others first and we can experience unity and we can experience joy where there's conflict and pain. So I just hope this is encouraging to you. So Paul says, we need to look to Jesus. We need to trust in Jesus. We need to follow Jesus. So look, in order to do that, we need to know who he is. We need to know what he did. And that's why Paul reminds us of that in verses 6 through 11. He reminds us of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. So Paul says that Christ had every right to be served And he had every right to get his way. And he had every right to be worshipped because he is God. But Paul says that he took on human flesh. He was born as a man. Jesus emptied himself and he became a servant. And he humbled himself by dying on a cross. He didn't just die any death. He died the most lowly, debased, despised, humiliating way. And that's on a cross. Now, I want to say emptying himself. When Paul says he emptied himself, this doesn't mean that Jesus ceased to be God. But rather, it means that Jesus took on humanity. He was a a real man. 
And, and when people saw him, they saw a, a real man, a regular man. In fact, Isaiah 53, 1 says that Jesus was, in his physical appearance, nothing to behold because his glory was veiled by his flesh. Here's the creator of the universe. But when people saw him, they, they saw a, a, regular, a regular guy. But Paul says when we look at Jesus and we have the mindset of Jesus, what it means is that we don't insist on being first. We don't insist on getting our way or looking out for number one or any of those things that our culture says is so important and will make you happy. And look, we know this. Putting yourself first will not make you happy It will not lead to joy. It leads to conflict. It leads to pain. It leads to relationship strain. It leads to relationship separations. People want a distance from people who are always putting themselves first. Notice what Paul says in verses 3 and 4. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. That word selfish ambition is the same word that's used in chapter 1, verse 17, where Paul says, look, some people preach the gospel, some people preach Christ out of selfish ambition. It's the same word. It just refers to people that are self-seeking and 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 Paul is saying, look, Christ came to serve. He, he came to lay down his life. And so if we want to experience the joy of the Lord that transcends our circumstances, we have to be willing to lay aside this natural sinful tendency to be self-seeking. And we have to commit ourselves to serving others, laying aside our selfish ambition. Um, this isn't condemning ambition, I mean, the Bible doesn't say ambition is wrong. This is talking about selfish ambition. Ambition where we're willing to go over other people, to trample other people, to see other people as a means to our ends. That's selfish ambition, where we just, we just want to get what feels good to us or what we want at the expense of other people. And, you know, as I was, as I was sort of thinking and praying and working through the preparation of this sermon you know, probably the way that I experience this <clears throat> practically on, on a regular basis, you know, is oftentimes at the end of the day, <clears throat> we go through our sort of evening rituals. We have dinner. We do our devotion. We, uh, you know, we might watch something as a family. And, and then we sort of, I get ready for bed. And I don't know what you like to do before you go to bed. I like to read. <laughs> and it's really something I look forward to every day. And so um, I read sometimes early in the morning and, and I kind of read at the end of the day, sort of the beginning and the end. And sometimes at the end of the day, I will want to just read. And one of my kids, you know, wants to talk about something or uh, uh, Polly and I need to talk about something. My wife and I, there's something in our family or there's a conflict in, the, in another room and I can hear it. And I just really want to sort of pretend like I don't hear it. Maybe let my wife handle it. And I have to, in that moment, really remember what Paul is saying here and really lay my own interests aside and remember that Christ came to serve and sort of enter into that and, and follow Christ in that. But it always leads to joy and unity and peace in a way that my selfishness would not. 
And so this is such an encouragement. Look, if you will practice what Paul describes in verses 3 and 4, as you look to Christ, this will change your life. I mean, it will bring peace. It, it will bring healing in relationships. I mean, I have seen in my life in pastoral counseling, these two verses be a big part of what saves marriages as there's a foundation of service and love and sacrifice that brings joy and peace. Friends come back together. Family members are reconciled. There is so much hope in this passage. I hope that it encourages you. And look, what Paul is describing is what Jesus did. And, and follow me here. Look, if, if Jesus can do this, and he was God, and he deserved to be worshipped, and he had the name that is above all names, if, if Jesus can take on flesh and serve others and not put himself first, then we, who, who, who are sinners, and we're not God, and we don't deserve to be worshipped, and we, we don't deserve to be first, we can do this too. And we can do it because of the power of God's Spirit within us. We can follow Jesus who is the Master. Paul says in verse 11, Jesus has the name um, that at which every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And if Jesus is Lord, that means we follow him. We don't just believe in him. We follow him. He's our loving master who laid down his life to redeem us, who took our place on the cross. He was our substitute, the substitute for, for our sin. And one really interesting point, just kind of in closing about this passage, is that as I was reading commentaries, a lot of the commentaries talk about the fact that this section of Scripture was probably a hymn of the early church. And, you know, hymns are, are, are so important in the history of the church because they remind the church of things that we need to remember. This is why there's so many hymns that talk about God's providence and his love and his holiness and and, and hymns that talk about um, heaven and the reality of heaven, because these are things that we need to remind ourselves of. I mean, hymns touch upon things that we need to remind ourselves of so that we can walk in a way that leads to life and joy and peace in Christ. And when we think about this passage as a hymn, it just reminds us, look, all of us need to be reminded this morning of who Christ is. And of what he did. And just of the hope that we don't have to live in conflict and in the pain of conflict. We can adopt the mindset of Christ and put others first and serve. And look, even if the conflict in this life is, it never ends in this life. Even if it's maybe with someone who's not of the same mind, is not of the faith, is not following Christ. What happened to Christ when he laid his life down is Christ, Christ was exalted. I mean, Paul talks about this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And Christ has gone on and where he is, we will go. And so even if you're in a situation that just seems hopeless and maybe because of someone rejecting the gospel, that, that there's not this sort of gospel unity that's possible in your situation. But if you will, if you will endure and if you will continue to trust God, 
And if you will continue to just live wisely and, and, and live according to his word, you know, the promise here for us is that there will be an, a reward. There will be a, a day when uh, the ways in which we've served others will just, will just be um, rewarded in the presence of Christ. And so this is a hymn, and we need to be reminded that, that as we experience gospel humility, we can grow in unity and we can grow in joy and there is a day coming when we will join Christ for eternity and we will realize that all of those times when we served others, all of those times when we put others first, all of those times when we followed Christ as our master in considering others, as Paul says, um, as more significant than ourselves, all those times will be worth it as we enter into the presence of Christ, enter into eternity. In this life, I pray that you'll experience more unity and more peace. But I know, and the hope here, is that in eternity, we will all experience the full reward of the humility of Christ and his sacrifice and our obedience in walking in that. So this is, I think, tremendous encouragement. I hope it's a blessing to you today and this week. So let me pray for us as we close. Father, we thank you for giving us hope in the midst of conflict. God, we confess that this is really hard for us because we, we want to be first. We, we want to be served, and yet Christ came to serve. And so, Father, I pray that as we serve each other, as, as husbands serve wives and wives serve husbands, and as parents we serve children, and just in our relationships we serve each other, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would empower us um, and that we would experience the joy and that we would even experience increased unity and peace and just less conflict. And God, I pray that we would be looking forward to the day when you would, because of what Christ has done, exalt us and we would be glorified as well with Christ when we are in your presence, God, and all conflict will cease. But until then, I pray that you would empower us by your spirit to walk in the humility of Christ, whose name is above all other names who is our Lord and our Savior. We pray these things. Amen.